Quickly, Sam, the Oscar nominations were released. Who's going to win Best Film? <laughs> I don't. I don't have time to track that, Jack. I'm far too busy watching things like the South American Youth Championships. All right, on with this show. Rewind the tape, we're back for another week. Yes, yes, it's BR Football Ranks, your new favourite football podcast and the only one putting a bit of order back in this crazy game that we call football. Thank you as ever for all your questions and comments in the last week. Please keep getting involved using the hashtag BR Football Ranks. My name is Jack Collins and as ever, I'll be your host today, meaning my job is to keep our very own two footballing powerhouses in check. To my left... Some say that he was born already on the phone to an agent and he's really good at go-karting because he always has the inside line. It's our very own ear to the ground, Dean Jones. Hello, world. And as ever, roll up for the rank god, the man who grew up watching Thomas the Rank Engine and who sometimes responds to people doing nice things for him by simply saying, rank you. <laughs> Sam Ty's in the building, everybody. Almost none of that's true, Jack, but thank you for the introduction. <laughs> I'm super excited for Sam's big ranking today. And if you're a fan of calling out underperformance, then you're going to be as well. But before all that, let's get this show on the road with some hot takes from the footballing world. DJ, hit me with what you've got. Mo Salah is getting loads of stick at the moment. People are calling him a diver. I'm going to get his back here. I'm saying Mo Salah is not a diver. I think there's a difference here between being a cheat and being clever. And Mo Salah is just about staying the right side of this argument. Um, I don't think he's a diver. Sometimes, yeah, he collapses in the box. And this weekend, just gone, was the closest he's come to overstepping the mark. But he's also doing some very clever play around the penalty box. He's now playing that central role. He's trying to find any way he can to get an advantage. Liverpool need him to do that. But he's not like Neymar. He's not like Robin. He's not, he's not going down in the same way. He's, as I said, collapsing. Uh, and in that Bournemouth game, if you remember, when he stayed on his feet to score a goal, um, I think that for me, that's proof that he doesn't go down all the time. He's not looking to be the latest Ronaldo from when he was in the Premier League, when he was probably cheating. Um, so Mo Salah, for me, not a cheat, but he's treading a fine line. He needs to make sure he doesn't step over it one more time because he is getting into that territory. You're right, Dean. But again, like there is that very clear distinction and it's not simulation. What Salah does is not simulation. He just goes down a little bit easy, but he's being fouled. So it's one of those 50-50 contentious ones every time where it's like, oh, you know, you could give that, you could not. You might have a bone of contention either way. But Salah is being fouled in the box a lot. Yep. He's not diving. He's not simulating. He's not cheating. He's, he's exaggerating, just, he's, maybe. He's, yeah, there's a little bit of exaggeration, but there is a difference there. And I agree with you. He's not a cheater. He's not diving. People need to stop leaving their leg in on him on the box because he's really hard to tackle. He shifts the ball away from you very, very fast. And he has every right to leave his leg there if you're going to foul him. Yeah. Refs are going to give it. Look, I think there's something to be said for the fact that last year, Salah stayed on his feet a lot. You know, whenever there was these kind of minimal contacts, mm -hmm. Salah stayed on his feet. And it was one of the things that people liked about him. He'd always try and get his shot off. He'd always try and score. This year, something's changed in his psyche where he is actively looking for those things to go down. But he's trying to win the title. I, I, well, I suppose he is, but I imagine he was trying to win the title last year. Nah. But it was... So, but Liverpool got almost no penalties the year before. Yeah, like They went on the that point. barren stretch of no penalties. Okay, but the whole point here is that Salah has something has switched in his psyche, and I can't imagine that's a Klopp thing. I can't imagine Jurgen Klopp going to him, 
actually just go down because he was doing so well staying up and something's changed and I'm not sure what's triggered it because he was actually scoring a lot of the opportunities where last year he didn't go down he'd he'd evade a defender he'd get a little clip he'd stay on his feet and he'd score mm. whereas this year he's not staying on his feet and and I'm with you in terms of I don't think he's yet stepped over the line refs are going to be watching him now though but he's he, not going to get away he, with he's it he's very very close to that line mm. and I think that if he's not careful he's going to get put in a bracket it, with certain players who, who do fall over too easily and then he's going to start not getting decisions and that's dangerous for him. Yeah. Yeah. We've got your back for now, Mo Salah. Just about. Sam, what's your hot take? Okay, so our, our, my hot take is that Arsenal are guaranteed, now guaranteed not to finish in the top four of the Premier League. They, I mean, they were already, in my mind, all season, I had them pegged for about sixth place, maybe fifth. There have been flutters of form this season that make you think, oh, maybe they could do something, particularly when it falls in line with maybe a Chelsea stutter or a Manchester United stutter as well, I guess you could call it, if you can call it that over four months. But uh, in light of Hector Bellerin's injury, this is it for them. Mm. That is... That is a huge, that is a devastating injury because so much of their possession work and so much of Unai Emery's tactics revolve around trying to circulate the ball in a U-shape so that they can shift the team over to one side and free Bellerin to start running down that right and powering forward with the ball. The amount of low crosses that Arsenal have produced this season, which creates chances for Aubameyang, which creates chances for Lacazette, and might I say creates Aubameyang's favourite type of chance, a raw finisher in the box, it's his favourite type of chance, that's gone now. Kolasinac has stepped up a little bit on the left-hand side, but not having that from both sides is going to be a huge problem for them. I think it 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 makes them a bit more fragile defensively as well, because you're looking at maybe Ainsley Maitland-Niles stepping in for a, a major role if Licksteiner can't do it. And Licksteiner hasn't looked good this season either, guys. No. He really hasn't, mm. so he's not exactly the safe person to, talk, to turn to. And it, it just nullifies their offensive threat a little bit as well. This is a, a huge problem for Arsenal. It might be that there are the list of players more important to Arsenal tactically is a very short one. Yeah, and Bellerin's done his ACL, so there's absolutely no chance of him coming back this season, right? It, it will probably lead into next season. Yeah, I mean, it's the, se- the season's done for him, sadly. We're looking at, what, you look at six to nine months for an ACL, six if you're lucky, nine if it's a standard recovery. We've seen it over and over again, um, which obviously takes us into next season. So we won't see Bellerin again this season highly likely and that's a massive problem for Arsenal when they chase for the top four it's that chase is over for me now yeah okay Dean if you you know if you're looking at that as a, a flat statement that Arsenal haven't got enough gas and Chelsea are stuttering does that open the door for Man United Man United know that a door's opening for them right now um, at the weekend another performance that was convincing without being amazing to be honest I think the first half against Brighton Man United were really impressive and then they kind of took their foot off the gas a bit in the second half and they saw that game through but there really is a new belief that United can make that top four. Now, that certainly wasn't there at the end of last year. And if any of those sides has got momentum right now, it's certainly the people at Old Trafford. I'd like to take things away from the Premier League (laughs) for my hot take. Kevin Prince Boateng has signed for Barcelona. (laughs) G-O-A-T, they're calling him, aren't they? it's, It's a move that immediately struck me as a banter move you know the kind of move <laughs> that Barcelona would go in 10 years time when Real Madrid you know inevitably return to uh, you know a being a winning side again at some point in the future yeah. and Barcelona could turn around and go yeah but we won the league when we had Kevin Prince Boateng <laughs> but then again I thought about it and I thought this about Paulinho last year and actually Paulinho turned out to be quite good good example I also feel like Boateng 
is the kind of player that should succeed at Barcelona. He's skillful, he's direct, he looks to get amongst it quite a lot, and also he's exceptionally versatile. He can play anywhere across the front three or as an attacking player in that midfield three, if that's what they're looking for. He's a striker as well. He's played striker a little bit over the last few years. And and you'd imagine that someone like that will succeed in a team as dominant as Barcelona are with the ball. And if he can keep up the kind of productivity he's seen at Sassuolo, four goals, two assists, 13 games in Serie A, then he's going to be absolutely fine. Is he the better Boateng brother right now? (laughs) I think he's at the moment. I mean, look, Jerome Boateng's had a a shocker of a half season or so and uh, injuries certainly seem to be catching up with him. He's slowed down immensely. In fact, the World Cup, we don't need to air that again. He was very poor this season for Bayern. Very, very disappointing. Hummels and Sula has emerged as the partnership they should be hanging their hat on. They've tried to buy Lucas Hernandez by all accounts over the last couple of months. That's, that tells you where their mindset is. Amazingly, given the height at which Jerome Boateng was maybe four years ago, basically ever since Messi sent him into a cave in that Champions League game, Kevin Prince might actually be the superior Boateng. That's not even the worst shout. But I do want to press you on one thing, Jack. Is he a banter signing or not? Because you've, you, you've given two sides there. Mm. Now, I, I've actually decided that while his signing is still banter because it's Kevin Prince Boateng, it's actually quite a good sign. Maybe he's made for this stage, you know, the fresh Prince of Barca, and he's going to go in there, he's going <laughs> to show everyone why he's got such a big ego, why he was made for a stage like this. If ever anyone had a question to answer on the biggest stage of all, it's a man like this. And, and I I think actually it will surprise everyone. He's, he's had his fair share of clubs, you know. He's been at, back to Hertha, Tottenham, Dortmund, Milan, uh, Frankfurt, Sassuolo, and now here he is. He's landed in the new camp. He's like, this was my plan all along. <laughs> is the model I've arrived? Given Paulinho and now Kevin Prince, is the model just to fail at Spurs? And then just sign in the new camp, and, and that's how. And that's what Christian Eriksen's doing wrong. He's actually been too successful at Spurs, and therefore could never succeed at Barcelona. Yeah, I think so. I think and Kudu's on the list. I think Jansen <laughs> will soon turn up there as well. So um, watch your space. All the lads. Well, I think that's pretty much the hot takes all wrapped. And I'm really excited about this ranking, Sam. So. I think we should get on to it. You're going to rank for us the five highest underperforming teams in Europe this season, in the top five leagues, I, I assume. Yep. So, you know, I've built it as most disappointing. Most disappointing teams. Okay, that, I think that's, that's pretty fair enough. And, yep. and the teams that you've been most upset not to see succeed, I suppose. Do well, live up to my expectations, live up to anybody's expectations, make themselves worth How watching. How upset do you get about these things? Uh, a couple of hours a week. I sit there a bit concerned, a bit upset, um, <laughs> depending on the team as well. Like I'll, I'll, I'll start running through the list at number yeah, five. I, I think I'll, five. Be, I'll be honest, at number five, Schalke, um, it doesn't bother me that much that they haven't played very well, that they haven't been very good this season, but I'm sure it bothers the Schalke fans. Well, yeah. So if I'm not concerned about them, Dean, then I'm sure they are. There's some concern for them. Um, To give you the context on Schalke, they finished second in the Bundesliga last season. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of their players looked very, very good. They they seem like something of a reclamation project because they had players like Nabil Bentaleb, another Tottenham Tottenham player. Interesting, Mm. playing centre back, which is not his natural position, and playing well. They they seem like a bit of a ramshackle side, but the manager Domenico Tedesco had managed to pull them all together and and sort of unearth gold in what other people would consider scraps. And Tedesco, as a result, was a very highly rated coach. They were a very good team. They finished second. They got into the Champions League. People were very excited. They've been rubbish this season. It's been a real shame. Two wins, one just before the winter break, and one this side of it now, has brought them up to 12th. But really, they've spent the entire season 
languishing in 16th, 17th, either just above or inside the relegation places. Now, maybe one thing that kind of saves their season a little bit, and one reason they're only fifth, is that they have qualified out of their Champions League group. Although again, it was the group of life. Yeah, you can put a caveat in place there, absolutely. Lokomotiv Moscow and Galatasaray were not good. They did not put up much of a fight. Schalke's attackers, have a, a lot of them have been injured. The goal scoring has been a massive problem. Defensively, they've been, you know, they've been all right. Ralph Farman's a really good goalkeeper. Salah Sane, who they signed in the summer uh, at centre-back, has been very good. But Weston McKinney is there as well. Big things being said about him. Yeah, so there are a couple of positive stories coming out of Schalke, but we'll limit it to two or three. For the most part, it's been, it's been really disappointing. And Tedesco's been making mistakes. He's been very stubborn. His star is falling in line with Schalke's as well. Let's hope over the second half of the season they can... They can push forward, but... How, how much of it do you think we can attribute to the loss of both Leon Goretzka and Max Meyer? I, I know Max Meyer obviously had that big falling out, missed the April to the end of the season last year, but you know, mostly the season was kind of done at that point. They were, they were sort of coasting towards the, the spirit in that squad, and you can tell that you know, when teams are in that kind of mood, there's very little that will actually upset the apple cart. But... In terms of how important those two players were to dominating midfield, dominating ball, and actually getting the ball to the attacking players to score, are we seeing the fruits of losing those players? Maybe. But, as you say, Max Mayer was, was phased out uh, towards the end of the season. He, it, was, it became clear that he wasn't going to sign a new contract, so they started planning without him during the season on the pitch. Smart move. They did the same with Leon Goretzka. Leon Goretzka signed for Bayern in January, ahead of the World Cup, ahead of the new season. They had all the time in the world to work that out, and they did. They phased him out of the lineup. He wasn't an ever-present in that second half of the season. Same with Mayer. So you have to say... They did about as good a job as they possibly could in the circumstances of preparing for life without these two players. And it all seemed to be OK, or at the very least, it seemed a hell of a lot better than it does right now. Right, Sam, who's at four? Number four, I've gone with Marseille. Uh, I could have picked, well, I've picked out of a few French teams here because Lyon in particular have disappointed me as well uh, with the talent they've got in Dombele, Aoua. We've heard all about those guys, the next rising talents out of France and the amount of money they spent on Moussa Dembele in the summer as well. It's fair to say the expectations on Lyon were pretty high. But I've gone with Marseille because they've been even more disappointing. Um, What really stands out is not the fact that they are struggling in Liga. It's the fact that they finished bottom of their Europa League group with one point. They lost a game to Apollon Limassol from Cyprus <laughs> and they drew the other one 2-2. Yeah. Now, I appreciate it was a tough group because you've got Frankfurt and Lazio in there, but you've got to put up more than a fight, more of a fight than one point. And they lost a game to a Cypriot side. It just doesn't really happen. Out of the Coupe de la Ligue very early as well, at home to Strasbourg, yeah. it just hasn't been good. And interestingly, there is a certain player... Um, who actually typifies their struggles this season. I'm going to struggle with the pronunciation because it's a very Croatian name. His name is Duje Chaleta Char. Yes. Decent efforts. Yeah, that was good. I'm, I'm I don't know if it's right, that. though. He cost £19 million, pounds, uh, 19 million Euros, uh, in the summer, transferred over from the Red Bull family. <laughs> this weekend, when he came on for 18 minutes and they won, that was the first taste of victory he's had at Marseille in the game he's featured. Seven starts, six losses, one draw. Just looking up, and he's lost two. Yeah, he's lost two more <laughs> as a sub as well. So he finally tasted victory for the first time. He's actually played a part in a game. It's been a disaster, an absolute disaster, and that kind of feels like a player epitomising how a season has gone for Marseille. They reached a Europa League final last season. They were a point or so outside of the Champions League places. 
They are a very good side on paper. And they didn't do too badly in the summer either. What on earth is happening to Marseille? What has happened? I can't put my finger on it. But it just looks it's it's it looks bad and it's very disappointing to see because you know there's so much more to come out of them. It's a really ruthless place, uh, Marseille. I mean, if ever a group of supporters were, were, were passionate and, and part of a team, then it's Marseille. On any occasion I've been there, it's is genuinely intimidating at times for away fans, for away players. But at the moment, it seems to be taking its toll on the home team. I mean, they've had their own exchanges with their own fans in Marseille recently. Um, literally, uh, for pretty much what Sam says, they're not reaching the kind of standards that everybody knows they're capable of. They've got Dimitri Payet there, um, who is probably pivotal to all of this in terms of not stepping up to the kind of levels you expect him to. Um, off the field, by all accounts, he, he's not a bad leader, but on the pitch, I don't think he's probably stepped forward as many times as they'd needed him to. They need to turn a corner and show why they're considered to be such a big club in that league. Of course. All right, Sam, who's at three? Uh, number three, we come over to the Premier League and we take a look at Fulham. Uh, um, yeah. Why? So, well... It's not just because you both support Fulham. That's <laughs> yeah, not the, the you're doing laying the cards on the table. That's here, not the we? only reason I've decided to bring them up. Look, I I personally have overestimated Fulham at every turn this season. So have I for the last twenty five years. And I've, I've been I've been wrong about them multiple times. I thought uh, the squad coming into the Premier League would be uh, would be well, you know how Wolves are playing. How how Wolves are sort of mid table, pretty comfortable, getting their fair share of wins. I thought Fulham would be exactly the same. I thought they'd be fully capable of a sort of 10th to 12th place finish and I thought they'd play some really good stuff. I thought that the acquisitions they made in the summer were very good. Yeah. That's uh, it's turned out to be uh, untrue as well. And I thought, I, I think I overestimated the impact that Claudio Ranieri would make in the wake of Slavisa Jukanovic being, fu- being fired. So they brought the new manager in and they just, it hasn't picked up. They got the first win against Southampton on his debut, and then that's kind of it. So, I mean, where do you want to start, guys? Defensively, shambolic under Jukanovic. Uh, the confidence dipped, the style went, the, the football we love to watch, it disappeared, it evaporated in front of us. And Lost the identity, to be honest, since the day of the, the playoff final. I mean, we, we've just kind of deteriorated. We had to change the squad, Fulham had to change the squad. Um, a lot of the players that you saw from last season weren't actually our players, and... They made some signings which on paper looked to be very good signings. Everyone yep. was pretty happy at the end of the summer transfer window. Um, I th- remember being on radio shows and predicting Fulham would finish 13th, 14th. Mm. Thought we'd have a decent season. And to be honest, from the opening day of the season against Crystal Palace, just nothing's fallen into place. And slowly the style of play changed. And under Ranieri now it's completely changed. They don't see any of the ball anymore, which is literally what this side was built upon. I say this side, half the team isn't the team that got promoted. So there's, to be honest, there's no way back for Fulham. They're, they're going to be relegated this season. It's going to take a miracle to keep them up in terms of the amount of points they're going to need. Yeah, they're seven points off 17th Yes, of right, course. right now. I think the I've never seen a, a football club season turn on a period of 20 minutes before. But Fulham were 2-0 up at the Amex against Brighton in the summer and gave away a, a really, really sloppy goal in defence on about 75 minutes and then conceded a penalty on 86. A really random penalty where Mitrovic just put his hand up in the air and the ball hit him and, <laughs> and the ref gave a penalty, rightly so. Uh, and Brighton drew two all. And since that day, Fulham haven't recovered. And 
it's it's really weird because they were playing uh, that first half against Brighton was the Fulham that everybody knew and liked and, and enjoyed watching in the championship last year and you know remember speaking to a lot of different people who support a lot of different clubs who were all really excited about having that free-flowing attacking Fulham in the Premier League and and seeing what they were capable of and in this period of 20 minutes the entire season went down the drain and everything just unraveled and and since then uh, I think Dean's right it's a uh, it's it's a long, long way back. Jack's got tears in his eyes, by the way. I can see it hurts. But well, since, since Ranieri was appointed, fourteenth of November, two wins, uh, two wins. Yeah, that, and the first first win was obviously on his debut against Southampton, who were then managed by Mark Hughes. Mm-hmm. They were in their own tailspin. Since then, they've come out of it because they appointed the man that well, possibly Fulham should have appointed in Ralph Hasenhuttle. Uh, one other win since the. Uh, I was trying to look for. One reason to, to to sort of pep you guys up a little bit with Fulham. <laughs> Thanks, last mate. last six fixtures of the season, no top six at all. Yeah, yeah but yeah. before then, before yeah, that, I there's, a, there's a few. There. I'm, I'm <laughs> a trying, few of the top. Trying six. to be nice, Dean. Trying to be nice. Um, no top six in those last last six fixtures, yeah. which which is a real positive, and potentially that's your that's the that's the exit route. But Fulham at the moment, as I say, seven points off seventeenth, did not see this coming and cannot see it ending yeah it, it doesn't look like it's going to be fixed in this season I think Fulham are going to have to go down rebuild rethink get a manager again who is able of playing football in terms of an expansive possession style that this team as Dean says is built for uh, and then basically try and, try and take another crack at it mm-hmm. Sam let's move the pain and misery out <laughs> of my life let's get on to number two Okay. Well, we will move on from the pain of Mitri, unless Thanks. you're also a closet Monaco fan. Goodness me! No one's a Monaco fan. That's half their problem. They don't have any fans at their games. It's <laughs> very true. <laughs> the stadium is weird and empty. Look, Monaco, 2016-17. Not long ago, they won Liga. They beat PSG to the title. Incredible stuff. Last season, they finished second with 80 points. Right now, they're 19th in Liga. They're 15 points from 21 games. Um, scrolling through their squad lists. Uh, yesterday just to have a look at the players they've used and what struck me was the sheer number of them that are featured this season it is absolutely incredible usually you see about 25 26 27 players used Mm -hmm. in a top division squad Monaco (laughs) Monaco have used 37 They've used 37 players. It's January. It's absolutely (laughs) There's more to come yeah that's going to hit 40. It is insane. I mean it is it is insane. Uh, I'm pretty sure the reasons for, for Monaco's demise. Look, when you continue to sell established talents, your your stock is going to dip. And this summer we saw Thomas Lamar, Jalmutinho, Fabinho all leave. The summer before that was the Bernardo Silva, Benjamin Mendy, Kylian Mbappe. Kylian Mbappe summer. So the talent drain on this squad over the last two years has been pretty heavy. But they still got the following players playing a serious chunk of games. Camille Glick and Jemison, the centre-half pairing mm-hmm. that took them to the Champions League semi-finals. Benjamin Henricks at fullback, very good for Bayer Leverkusen and signed to some fanfare. Thielemar, who finished third at the World Cup with Belgium. Chadley also did the same. Golovin was signed off the back of an impressive World Cup. It's been bad, but should a team with, with those players playing for them more than 10 times each, not to mention Radamel Falcao, who is still OK... Should that team be in 19th? No, absolutely not. And they pulled the trigger on Leonardo Jardim. They fired Jardim way too early. They panicked on that so much. And have appointed Thierry Henry 
It hasn't gone very well. He's obviously tried to address the experience issue in this squad this uh, this window. They've signed a fair few players already, and <laughs> to their luck, they actually signed one who immediately got injured and has now refused to be paid until he's fit again because he feels guilty. So that's that kind that's of, nice sum- of him. That's yeah, it is very nice. It sums up their season. They finally get what they need, and he gets injured for a month. Yeah. Um, but he signed Naldo from Schalke, 36 years of age, very well. ex- very experienced centre-half. Got sent off six minutes into his game the other day. <laughs> so that hasn't <laughs> gone very well. Six minutes into his debut. I, wasn't, I don't think it was his debut. It was his second, his second league first home, it was his league first debut. home league game. debut. Uh, yeah, sent off six minutes in. And Fabregas as well played the same, played the same game. I watched the game. Fabregas shambles, really, because I played him in centre midfield alongside Tielemans. I could have told you from the start that centre midfield is going to get run over, and exactly that's what happened. And Fabregas just didn't get on the ball, uh, was caught out for one of the goals, dilly-dallying on the ball in his own box, and they won, they won possession back. Um, that game was a shambles um, at the weekend for Monaco, battered at home by Strasbourg. Um, as I said at the start, there was no fans there. Um, nobody seems to really care about Monaco and what happens to them to be honest I, I, it must be quite strange to play for a team like that which is well established has huge names playing for them yet they play in this really weird little stadium where no one really turns up you saw the Strasbourg fans like loving every minute of it obviously they scored two headers by the way from the edge of the box <laughs> Monaco's season is a complete shambles and Thierry Henry might be the new Gary Neville <laughs> Monaco are a funny club because they seem to have these like ridiculous peaks and then they just disappear for 10 years at a time and you yeah. know they that Champions League final where they lost to Jose Mourinho's Porto that that team that had you know Ludovic Juli, Jerome Rotten all of those old heads who were you know good players in their own right and then Monaco just disappeared yep. for 10 years and then they came back with this new generation of Mbappe and Bernardo and Fabinho like you say and now they look like they're just about to slide into. Well, what happens again? if they go down? I mean, none of these players are staying. Surely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You can't. You can't see it. They're all on huge wages as well. Like you've, you're tempted to say, like from the outside, this is essentially uh, an older squad, or some of them, are, some of like Falcao's an, old, an older player, Glick's an older player. It's a squad of players that have that are past their best. They're overpaid. And they're unmotivated. Like it's very unmotivated te- is a great word to describe this team. Very tempting just to just to just to say that about them. Like, how can you go three and a half months without a win? They're crying out for a defensive midfielder, and they don't seem to be in the market for any defensive midfielders. It's really strange what's going on. As there. good a footballer as Fabregas is, that is the last thing Monaco needed. Fabregas is not the player you want in a relegation fight. You know, he was struggling to get minutes at Chelsea. He needs game time. He's not fully fit, like in terms of match fitness. He's, as you say, in terms of motivation, Fabregas wants to be winning trophies. That's what's always motivated him. Not staying in Ligue 1. You know, that's not going to do it for him. He might be mates with Thierry Henry and enjoy that side of things, but that was the wrong signing for me. They need somebody with determination. A bit of nous, really, to know what it takes to, to win one of these relegation dogfights. Well, but as it is, pff, not happening. Let's see if they sign another three players this window and take see it if to any 40. of them... Any of the, yeah, take it to 40 players used. I don't know, <laughs> maybe some of them will have what it takes. Right, Sam, let's take it to the top. Who is your number one disappointing team this season I wonder what's coming here by the way a little drum roll then Real Madrid oh surprise surprise Real Madrid last week chalked up their 10th loss of the season decent absolutely ridiculous for a a squad of that calibre for a squad with that depth for a team that are the reigning European champions yeah Absolutely ridiculous. More losses than they sustained in the entirety of last season. Not just reigning champions, three times in a row. Like, like I know, I know teams reach the end of their cycle. Ronaldo factor, mate. But goodness me. Okay, so yeah, we start with the post-Ronaldo cycle. 
I think anybody with any interest in football would have been able to tell you in the summer that if you lose a player like Cristiano Ronaldo, who scores like 50 to 60 goals a season, you probably need to buy the uh, the, the players that can score that number of goals. Mm -hmm. And if you need to buy two, fine. If you need to buy three, fine. If you had to go out and get Lewandowski and Eden Hazard, do it. Because that's how critical Ronaldo is, and that's how critical his goals are to Real Madrid. You can't rely on Benzema. He hasn't scored enough goals for ages, and he has continued to not score enough goals this season. Arguably since he left Leon. (laughs) Arguably. (laughs) But look, there was a point in which he was the perfect foil for that team. Without the players outside him who do all the goal scoring, the onus is on him. It's just not him, okay? Benzema's a good player, but it's just not him. So the balance of the team, the balance of the attack is wrong. And this is something I wrote about last year and something I actually do take quite a lot of flack for from Real Madrid fans, but I'll just repeat it anyway because it's true and it's proving to be true. Real Madrid can't defend and they haven't been able to defend for ages, right? So the goals are all the more important because they have to outscore teams. Ronaldo comes up in the big moments and he scores and papers over those cracks. Because if you attack that flank with Marcelo and Ramos, they could have the worst day of their career every three weeks. And it is a car (laughs) crash, right? It is a car crash. And teams can get at Real Madrid. The goals Ronaldo scored justified the crazy approach that Real Madrid took to football, and it papered over all of the defensive cracks they've ever had. They now don't score enough goals to justify the way they play and to justify the fact that the defence isn't as good as it thinks it is. Club record this season, 465 minutes without scoring a goal. That is that is absolutely atrocious yeah. for a team that has mm-hmm. Bale, Benzema, Isco, Asensio. To name a few. To name Vasquez. Yeah. You know, we could keep, Genuinely to name a few. Uh, their Mariana. riches Mariano. Are, are incomprehensible to most clubs and, and yet they can't seem to buy a goal. Listen, Zidane must have seen this coming. There's there's a Absolutely. reason. There is a reason he left in the circumstances he did. He knew that team had peaked. He knew that it was the perfect moment for him to walk away. He must have had an idea about what was going to happen mm. with Ronaldo and all the rest of it. And I just think that since that moment, this club has been in free fall. Even the signing of Courtois, really, to me, was a strange one because you suddenly got Kayla Navas again in a really weird position that he doesn't really need to be in. They didn't really need Courtois. They'd have been fine with Navas, knowing the defence as well as he did. And I think Not to mention Navas being one of the best goalkeepers in the world. Exactly, He's yeah. Been horribly treated. Constantly having to prove himself, constantly proving himself, then having to do it all over again with Courtois, who's, who's been pretty disappointing for the last year or so, even yeah. going back to when he was at Chelsea. So... It's been a, it's been a complete shambles of a season for them. Um, I mean, can they turn it around? Possibly, purely because it's Real Madrid and there's there's always this kind of belief. And at the weekend, um, everything I was reading on the back of their, their win and, and Casemiro's wonder strike was that there actually was, for the first time in a long time, a togetherness at the Bernabeu and that the fans actually seemed to connect with the players again. I think that that's exactly what they need. It's It's got to change that the philosophy and the mentality that they've had this season has got to get back to where they used to be. And there's enough players in that squad that have been part of all the success to remember what made them so good. Just going to be really cautious with any comeback tales in Real Madrid. There have been about eight false dawns already yeah. this season. The minute they start putting it together, the minute they start their revival, the minute they say, oh, the ship's been righted, three wins in a row, 
they go and drop a loss to a team that you just can't lose to. And I would also like to say that they have actually scored quite a lot of goals this season, but they seem to win 3-0, 3-0, 4-0, and then lose a ridiculous game. So they went on that little drought. They have figured that out, but the, the inconsistency in their results is remarkable. It is it is weird, and I can never really, when I look at the results they get and the fixtures, I can never really work out exactly what to expect from them in the next game. As I say, false dawn after false dawn, really cautious about saying, oh, Real Madrid have figured it out. Also, another point on you know what's happened, Modric basically took a holiday after the World Cup yeah. um, for about three and a half months. Modric scored his first goal about two weeks ago for almost a year. Yeah. And, you know, it's not, I'm not saying that Modric is an out and out goal scorer, but he plays attacking midfield. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's not supposed to score 30 goals a season, but you'd imagine he'd be scoring more than once a year. Probably six or seven yeah. for, for him would be about what yeah. I'd expect. In a year where he won the Ballon d'Or, <laughs> he basically didn't score. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a very strange thing. And this is all to even start without going into the whole Solari versus Isco situation, which is hanging over the club like a cloud. Yeah. Yeah. I mean we talked before about the fact that they've got this blend of youth coming through, you know, rightly or wrongly in terms of the way that they've got those players on board by basically buying them young before anyone else could could get their hands on them. They are still there, so Whoever's in charge next season to to get the best out of those young players, people like Vinicius are going to be amazing players. They're going to be part of what's to come in the next generation at Real Madrid. It's just a case of which Galacticos they decide to go out and get. They haven't been doing that in recent years, but they're going to go and do it because they have to do it. Um, is it Eden Hazard? Is it Mbappe? Is it Neymar? Who kickstarts this this revolution that they need? I don't know, but certainly those three players are on their radar and all for the reason that they don't know what else to do other than buy success when it comes to moments like this because what else can you do? What else can you do? Well, it looks like it will be all change at Real Madrid and it's also going to be all change here Those were five teams desperately underperforming in their respective leagues. But for those of us beleaguered by that failure, we do hope that it turns around (laughs) and quickly. After the break, we'll be taking a flying visit through some of your best questions as we turn our hand to Bleacher Roulette. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks. We hope that you're ready for Bleacher Roulette. The questions are ready. The wheel is set. Dean Jones is itching to get his hand on that wheel. Give it a spin. Quickly rank the following on entertainment value. La Liga, Premier League, Serie A, Liga, MLS, Bundesliga. Okay, I'm going to do it as quick as I can. I'm going to do like a quick fire here. Entertainment value. Okay, that's key. I'm going to go six, Liga... Five, Serie A. Four, MLS. Three, Bundesliga. Two, La Liga. One, Premier League. I mean, maybe I've put Bundesliga higher there than than some people would expect, but I think Bundesliga is the most entertaining league in in many ways because of the way that fans are able to interact and actually get behind their team makes it a completely different spectacle to the way you see grounds like in Serie A where they're half empty all the time. Um, they also done a really good job of promoting that league and socially and in terms of TV coverage. I think it looks really good. And I think that the football's matched it and you get some really exciting names emerging and that all the other leagues want to buy. So Bundesliga, probably the highest there that people be surprised about, but Premier League... Premier League's number one, isn't it? I mean, I don't think anybody is coming close to it in the near future in terms of matching that brand of football and just the marketability of it all. Yeah, I, I feel like we'd be, we'd be a bit biased to say it because we live in this country, so we, we, we 
Premier League is the most accessible league to us, but I agree with the Premier League. I also agree with your points on the Bundesliga. Like, you know, any, any league that gets a live go out on the sidelines to celebrate goals is is, is the league that I want to be involved in. Um, MLS was a, was a little bit high for you. Higher than uh, Serie A. I get your point about the, uh, the the empty stadiums. I but find it hard to watch Serie A games on TV. I mean, it'd be better if I could be there every week. But in terms of a fan that's this far away from it, I do find it quite hard to connect. No, I'm okay. I'm okay. I think that I don't know. I watch a lot of Serie A. I think maybe just because the kickoff time kickoff times really suit. Like, there's always an 11 a.m. kickoff basically, yeah, which true. which you can always get into. So you can kind of get into the league a bit more, and then you're in and you're good. I'm not into MLS. I'm not hooked into it, so I don't necessarily find it entertaining. I think there's something that's maybe a little bit underappreciated. Is it, at the start of this season, before a ball had been kicked, I would have had Serie A maybe in it too because I was yeah. so excited Me about too, the plausibility 100%. of there being a real title race, mm-hmm. a real kind of scrap at the top of Serie A Some this good year. Signings. And, and it really hasn't come to fruition, and, and I agree with you. I think MLS, I, I'd agree with you. I'd have it in at four because... I think that the entertainment value in terms of around the game and, and the way that I think Atlanta United are changing things in the MLS and waiting for people to catch up is, totally. is really, really important for continuing that entertainment value and the quality of football. But if we're talking on pure entertainment value and bringing that up and, and bringing you know, into a spectator sport lots of different things, that's really exciting. I'd have La Liga top. I still think that the kind of quality of football in terms of possession or play and, and the way that you get in the in the Premier League you get a bottom six a middle six mm-hmm. or a middle eight and then a, a top six yeah. really does detract from it and you know at w- one point this season I remember us saying that no team in the bottom half had beaten a top six side yeah. at one point it was all a bit kind of mad and then but in the Liga at one point the team at the bottom European place was three points above the team that were in the top <laughs> relegation spot that for me is a is a scrap that's a anyone can beat anyone and it's the same reason I love the championship yep. because the championship is such a vibrant exciting league where anyone really can beat anyone and I love the way that the Liga allows players to to come in make a name for themselves and, and really express themselves and and teams can kind of come from nowhere in the Liga and I love that and while there is obviously a, a duopoly on the on the title mm-hmm. I think the races behind them are so much more exciting in Spain Fair enough. it's a good one the, the, the identity of the fourth Champions League team in Spain changes a hell of a lot it yeah. could be Valencia it could be Sevilla it could be Real Sociedad you're never really quite sure what it's going to be and that that is intriguing yes. could be Arsenal could be Chelsea could be Man United but we've already discussed the Arsenal <laughs> of the race <laughs> Can't be Arsenal, right <laughs> Sam spin the wheel Okay, this is from Lex Brill on Instagram. So thanks, Lex, for the question. If you were a player, what would you value more, loyalty or money? Oh, Lex. Depends what, who you're playing for, doesn't what it? What are you doing to Depends me? who you're playing for. Uh, You've got to presume you're playing for a team you like a lot. Yeah, um... I think the yeah the only exception is if I if I play for the club my boyhood club exactly, the one yeah. I support so that's the that's the one I don't leave pretty much any other team in the world I am open to a better offer I have to be come on it's my yeah. it's my financial yeah. security it's why I don't begrudge players moving to China you offer me two hundred and fifty grand a week I'll take it. No problem. Tax free as well. I respect that. I respect it, but it's not for me. I'm very much a if I connect with the fans, I'm staying for life kind of person. (laughs) I'm a hard. But do you really believe you would be like that in that position? Say you were Marco Arnautovic and you were given that decision between staying at West Ham, who you like but you don't really care about that much, or this huge amount of money that's going to change your life. I'm not saying he's not on good money already, but. 
Look, I appreciate that. And I also think that someone like maybe Marko Arnautovic probably isn't that invested in the West mm-hmm. Ham cause. So I think that while, he, you know, while he's moving for money, that's kind of fine because ultimately he seems like a bit of a mercenary in all sense of his life anyway. I don't begrudge people that. But for me, I think I'd look in a football career to be looking to build relationships, rapports with fans and be able to feel that kind of love because it's all about that two-way relationship for me and you see it with certain players and their fan bases, the way that that kind of mutual respect and love occurs between certain players and their fans. That's, I think, what I would be searching for in a football career. I think it would depend who was offering me this money because it would have to be a place where I know I could live and actually enjoy it. You know, there be there might be some countries where I, I'd probably go and check it out. Like I, I'd, I'd go to China and, and see what this club was all about. But you've got to enjoy your life, and it's got to work for your family to a certain degree. You know, I'm too um, family oriented, I think, to to completely dismiss the fact that everyone around me might be miserable, but I've got loads of money in my bank account. So I'd have to make sure that I fit in to wherever I'm signing. Yeah, I'd probably end up taking the money and going. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's give this wheel one more spin. Right, so this one is from Adolf Wrights on Instagram. He says, Pogba or Fabinho for your team as a midfield building block? It's an interesting question because of the phrase building block, I, I think. <laughs> Obviously, for me, Pogba is the superior player. I think for most people that would be a given in terms of his flair and and his ability and to change a game. But I think Fabinho is by far the more reliable player. He's versatile. We've seen him play centre-back, right-back, centre-midfield. You imagine that Fabinho could kind of do a job anywhere in the back six, really. Mm -hmm. And I think that in terms... If you were looking to build a team from scratch... It's harder to find a player like Fabinho that does their job and does it so well in the way that Fernandinho perhaps does at Man City. And and we saw the effect that losing Fernandinho had on City earlier this year. I think that if you have one of those kind of players like Fabinho, who's a good ball-winning midfielder, who is able to slot in anywhere and sort of do a job, they're the kind of players that any team needs. Whereas... You know, if Pogba isn't providing a little bit of magic for Manchester United, we've seen other players do that. We've seen Martial provide a little bit of magic. And while Pogba is a phenomenal player and I love watching him play to bits, I think if I was looking about building a team, Fabinho would be the one I'd go for. I think I'd go for Pogba because I think that Pogba would bring people to the club. I think people would want to play with Pogba. I think if, in terms of a building block, say he was the first player that you had on board, I think he would people be attracted to coming and being part of whatever he's in. If you put your arm around Pogba, you've already seen under Solskjaer that you're getting a completely different kind of player to the one that Mourinho got with Pogba. He, you can build a team around Pogba. Um, you've just got to be willing to just let him roam, which is obviously Absolutely. not what you would normally do with a player that you're building a team around. You, you've, I see what you're saying with Fabinho. He's a solid, reliable, yet can also do the fun parts of the game as well. With, with Pogba, you're not getting him going backwards very much. A lot of people talking about Van Dijk in terms of how Liverpool have improved this year, but yeah. actually Fabinho's been a part of that as well and actually getting in someone in the midfield who's able to, to play that role and also the amount of positions he's played for Liverpool this season. I just think having that kind of versatility in your in your kind of building block man is, is such a key element. Sam's got the deciding vote here. We've got one for Fab, one for Pog. Where are you going? Every, everybody who ends up playing next to or near Fabinho plays better. He improves everybody around him, which is a really, it's a defining trait. And it doesn't just apply to Liverpool. 
like it did uh, for Jordan Henderson at the weekend or any other players that, that he's played with. It goes back to Monaco when Bakayoko was in the, the peak form of his career. Anybody who plays alongside Fabinho finds a new level in their game. And I love, I love watching Pogba as well. I love him as a player. But that draws me to him as a building block. That draws me as a guy that you put in the middle of you, in the centre of your team, and you know that whoever you buy will be to complement him. You've got that bit sorted. You can go and find an attacking player with a bit of flair. They are in larger supply than the Fabinho's. And you know, actually, that Fabinho's going to strike up a great relationship with them, and he's probably going to bring them on a few more levels. Yeah. So my, my vote goes to Fabinho. Can't oh, yeah. dab, though. He can't dab. And his dancing ability, I imagine, is, is weak. Although he did do Baby Shark with Roberto Firmino at the weekend. Did anyone see that? No. The Baby Shark celebration. Very, very interesting. Oh, maybe. Maybe I'll change my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So that is it for Bleacher Roulette this week. Thank you as ever for your questions. Keep them coming in on Instagram or on Twitter. You can reply to any of our Instagram stories. Mm. We're always asking for questions. And also on Twitter using the hashtag BRFootballRanks. Leaves us with one thing, Sam. It's the nonsense rankings. What you got? Well, Jack, uh, this week we're talking flavours of ice cream. Oh, like uh, it. Yeah, good. Nice, pleasant subject, I think. In winter, it's not ideal, but yeah. Well, that's what made me think of it. Oh, fr- <laughs> you were mi- missing an ice cream. I've been freezing cold for weeks. Um, <laughs> so, straight in at number three, um, general flavour, salted caramel. Now, oh. bra- the brand is whatever you like. There's one in England called Jude's. I don't know how global that is, but on a more global scale, you're looking at Hagen Dars, Cart Door, like what- whatever the brand is. In fact, whatever the food is, yeah. anything salted salted caramel. caramel is legit, yeah. and that's that's in at three. So that tells you must be a pretty serious caliber yeah. ice cream at number at number yeah. two and one. So at number two, more of a timeless classic, and probably something I would always revert to is cookie dough. Yeah. Um, look, you can be pernickety and say, "Oh well, cookies and cream is similar but slightly different." And you know what? It, it's almost as if both of those ice creams hold number two position because they are similar. Anything with the word cookie in it, basically. Basically, I like cookies. Um, <laughs> basically, I like cookies. So that's number two. And then number one is a much more traditional flavour. It's one that you would get on an ice cream cone, maybe from a truck or whatever if you're out on holiday. It's mint chocolate chip. Yeah. It's the best ice cream flavour in the world. Mm, is that right? That's that's correct. I, <laughs> I'm I'm into these choices actually, which is weird because we don't. Agree yeah, I really don't anything. agree with you. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of key elements you're missing. Um, I would always have a, min- a vanilla in there because I think the vanilla's most versatile flavour does. I, I would have it low. Don't get me wrong. It would be in a, in at three maybe, but bit of sauce on there. Yeah, but vanilla you can you can mix it up. It goes with other things. And, and you know, while you're talking about ice, you've got to remember that not only does ice cream just live on a cone, but also you know with apple pie or with chocolate cake or with, with all sorts of different things. And I think that not having a base flavour in your three does diminish their quality a little yeah, bit. Yes, Sam. That's not relevant. <laughs> <laughs> but what I, what I, I commend your argument. It's a good one. What about rum and raisin? Rum and raisin Cro- is Cross my mind, cross my mind. I, maybe in as the honourable mention at number four. It nearly, it nearly snuck in. I think we have similar taste in ice cream. I, was, yeah. I have to say, I would go for strawberry, but that's, you know, that's just me. That'd be my number one. Jack, do you want to go for ice cream? Yeah, let's go for ice cream. Let's not invite Dean. Yeah, Dean, Dean's going to have to get I don't want it, mate. It's too cold out. It is really cold. <laughs> We're not going to be having I'm it. I'm going for a cup of tea. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think it would be. I'm really glad no one put chocolate in. I really don't like chocolate ice cream. It's not a hate thing, but like... Why not? You why would, you, why you, you so, so against 10? Weirdly, I don't like... I love chocolate. 
I don't like anything that's chocolate flavored that's not chocolate. Like I said, I don't like chocolate mousse. I don't like hot chocolate. I don't, don't like chocolate, chocolate ice much. cream. But I love chocolate bars. Like a chocolate bar is like the absolute one. Okay. The only exception to this rule is chocolate cake, but cake is kind of a different breed of fish, so we'll uh, we'll keep that away. <laughs> but yeah, anything that's chocolate flavored but isn't actual chocolate, I have a, a real issue with. Okay, well, one week you can rank your favourite types of chocolate. We could we could do that. I think that's definitely yeah. something on okay, the agenda. Cool. Uh, remember, you can always get involved with what you want Sam to rank in the nonsense rankings. This was a good one, and I think that Sam's come up with him himself with the uh, the grin on his face. Yeah, right for once now. it wasn't complete nonsense. Yeah. I actually quite liked it. I was just thinking because I got a lot of messages, a lot of messages in, in on Instagram uh, about the mayonnaise thing. Uh, and it was it was all very negative, yeah. disparaging of my choice. But I just feel like I might not get hammered this week. Yeah, you might not. So I think I am grinning. This is the first <laughs> this is the first week we've ever done this where you haven't been absolutely caned as soon as we've come off the nonsense <laughs> ranking. So well done, Sam. A good ranking well done, for mate. once. Lovely. I'm, I'm very proud of you. Well, I think that's probably just about it for today's episode of BR Football Ranks. If you've enjoyed it and you're not already, get over to iTunes or Spotify or whichever podcasty platform is your favourite and hit that subscribe button. Whilst you're at it, we'd love your ratings, your reviews, and you can always hit any of the three of us up on Twitter or Instagram with your thoughts, your ideas. Use the hashtag BR Football Ranks for nonsense rankings or roulette questions. Tell your friends, tell your colleagues, tell your gran. Let's get the word out there. Spread this podcast and we will see you next week. Rank Squad. Take care.